welcome to TBR, VPL's Footnose Podcast. We talk each month about the new items that are being added to our collection. It's an ongoing list. And so I am joined here today by Annette, say your last name. Bazal. Bazal. Annette Bazal. She is my coworker, and I'm going to let her talk a little bit about where she works and what she does here. Oh, um, okay. So I work at the downtown branch, Central Library, and I am a navigator there. So I do a lot of helping patrons find what they're looking for. I'm trying to get involved more with like the children's programming. And I've done a lot of, or not a lot, but I've been helping with some of the teen programming, which has been fun. And just trying to get involved with everything. I do a little bit of outreach. I try to each month and just kind of figure out what I enjoy here and what works for me. I'm all about sampling until you find what's your niche. So yes. and and my niche is like 10 things. So excellent. I understand how that operates. So I'm going to let go first with the book that you've chosen from the April list that's coming in. Okay. So I was super excited to look at everything. And the first one is actually not like a fiction book. It is called Quilt Your Own Adventure. Oh. And it's modern quilt blocks and layouts to help you design your own quilt with confidence. And it's by Amanda Kerr. And I was really excited about this. And I think we might have touched on this the last time I saw you, but I have just started getting into quilting and I'm working on my first quilt. And I really love quilt books. I don't use them really because, again, I've only done one. But I like to look at all the pictures and the ideas and I judge them a little bit. But uh, this... you should. This is how you find your taste. (laughs) Yeah. So this one is made for or focused towards a beginning quilter or a advanced beginner because it's a choose your own style quilt book. So it comes with like 30 quilt blocks. It's got seven quilt top layout formulas and they do all the math for you oh, which see. is uh, that that puts me right there i like you i i've done quilts before but very very sporadically mm-hmm. many years in between and, but i am currently working on one i decided since i don't have enough activity in my life oh no say that with <laughs> great sarcasm uh i've decided that each of my kids and grandkids are going to get their quilt and, and i'm going not by birth year but by birth month and so i've started with the first one and I've got the blocks put together. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping within the next week to get the top finished. Excellent. And so, but I have been, as a result of this, anytime I jump into a creative project like this, I'm, I'm looking it up on Instagram or Pinterest or mm-hmm. YouTube. And so this book, that definitely catches my interest because I'm trying to not let it intimidate me and just enjoy the process. So where they're doing my math and giving me some formulas, this sounds like a book I need to explore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I I love, apparently, there are worksheets, which appeal to me as well. Mm -hmm. Um, On the quilt I've been making, somehow, I don't know how I did it because I've gone over the math several times, Mm -hmm. but somehow I totally lost a complete eight inches along the back of the quilt. It was just short. And I don't know where it happened. Like, I have the, I'm I'm sure it's there and I just don't see it, but it was, it was easy. I just added another strip of fabric and it's fine. When I started the one I'm working on, I had found a pattern online that I thought, oh, Okay, I think I can do this. And I was calculating how much fabric because it's like mm-hmm. got several different colors in it. And I calculated completely. <laughs> and thankfully, because as I thought about it, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I say, I've, it's not that I've never done them before, but not often. And I would not call myself experienced. But as I was thinking about it, I thought that sounds like a massive amount of fabric for a quilt the size I'm getting. But fortunately, mm-hmm. I have a friend who is very gifted quilter. Yeah. And I chatted with her and went, 
Yes, we probably don't need nine full yards of fabric for a basic quilt top, and uh, which was good because that would have been one very expensive quilt. Oh my goodness, yes. But uh, but we, I was able to get what I need. I still wound up with more fabric than I should have, but I'm all about making those scraps into oh, something yeah. else. Yes. So, so I'm going to jump in with my book. Sure. And although I usually alternate between fiction and nonfiction on these, I have chosen a solid fiction list this time. Okay. So the first one is called The Lake House by Sarah Beth Durst. And I kind of did a genre sampling this time. So this one's a thriller. Okay. Um, Claire has grown up anxious about everything. Double checking, counting steps, second guessing. But so far, none of her worst fears have ever really happened. Good. It's just a natural anxiety that Mm. she struggles with. Mm Mm-hmm. But then she arrives at an off-the-grid summer camp, and she shows up late, and two other campers show up late. And when they arrive, they find a burned-out lodge and no one around. And then they find a body in the woods. Oh, no. And they realize, and more than one, but they find this one body in the woods, and they realize this was not an accident. No. Uh, And suddenly, the three of them discover that they're being hunted. And so this sounds like, and I know it's only April, but this sounds like <laughs> one of those uh, summer reads. You know, in the yeah. summer, they always have the exciting thrasher. Yeah. Things. And so this is that book. Okay. You know, uh, about I'm in the cabin in the woods. All my worst fears are coming together in a single moment. And so this is about that experience and what becomes of them, who's hunting them, and how are they going to escape. Okay. Now, are they adult campers are they are they teenagers going to camp teenagers. okay is it young adult or adult Do you I know believe, that's a great <laughs> question i'm gonna actually and this is why i love editing look up really quick and see how it's cataloged okay i believe it's an adult fiction book but i'm gonna check yeah no worries like I mean, they haven't come out yet, so there's only so much we can know anyway. That's true. Although I usually go on Goodreads and kind of do a little bit of digging, but they don't catalog white like we do. So Mm-mm. let me see the lake house. It's called. I know that was my this first thought. Very, I was like, huh? Yes, exactly. Not that. <laughs> All right. Yes. Okay. So an adult thriller, The Lake House by Sarah Beth Durst. Let's see who survives. Well, that sounds very appealing. So what's up on your list next? Okay. Well, I just realized it's another nonfiction, but I'm, so I'm going to tell you a little spiel about it because okay. I got excited. Um, this one is called The Wager, okay. a tale of shipwreck, mutiny, and murder. I yeah, yeah, yeah. That. So it's I by the author who wrote Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, oh, yeah. Right. Uh, what's his name? David Gran. And so that one was really fascinating because it really like covered the indigenous. Now, didn't that one kind of show how the FBI got its name? Yes. Yes, it was like together. That was like the first big case. The mm-hmm. FBI it was kind of formed during that time, okay. and but they also did a really good job of covering like all these indigenous people who had all these oil rights and how people, mostly white colonizers, were systematically um, killing them off. And it was this whole town wide thing. People would marry, uh, take wives with indigenous background, and mm-hmm. just it, it was pretty terrible. But he wrote such in such a suspenseful kind of way that you didn't know which way things so were going. It was a nonfiction bookshelf. Yes. Yes. And so I was excited to see that he is releasing a new book this month. Um, 
And it's called the Wager because that's the name of the ship. Mm -hmm. And it's set back in the 1740s. And so a little bit of background because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. It's a British vessel that had left England in 1740. And it was a secret mission, a secret mission during an imperial war with Spain. And so the Wager had been chasing some Spanish ship that was supposedly filled with treasure. Mm -hmm. Um, And for whatever reason, I guess they got a little bit lost Mm -hmm. and didn't realize they were so close to an island. And they end up wrecking, uh, I think it's right off the coast of Patagonia. And they end up being marooned for months and months. And they're facing starvation. And it really kind of sounded like a... Real life Lord of the Flies, but with oh, adult okay. men. With adults. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, anyway, I think they started out with about 600 men. I've read that on Wikipedia, so I don't know how accurate that is. Okay. But 30 men, I think two or three years later, show up having survived, and they're regaled as heroes. They're like, oh my gosh, they're being lauded for their efforts and right. making it through. And then six months later, three other survivors show up, and they're like, oh no, no, no. These are not heroes. These are mutineers. Uh, they There was a tyrannical and murderous senior officer and, like, henchmen. And I guess back then, according to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. there was a rule that as long as the ship was still put together, mm-hmm. um, you had to follow that hierarchy that of in charge. But as soon as the ship disintegrates, that law is no longer in effect. And so there – anyway, so there's this big court-martial thing – big court-martial hearing happening in an inquest and this kind of goes back and forth i think that's kind of like going to be the climax Trying of the book to decide whose side is true yes and they could potentially hang whoever whoever loses Loses. this argument. So So they have something of a vested interest in that. Yes. Yes. I could see that. Yes. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I just love how he sets up his twists. You know, speaking, speaking facetiously, um, if the ship remaining intact kept a tyrannical person in power, I might have help it disintegrate a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, And I don't think this is a spoiler alert, but I did, wikipedia again look up and they ended up passing a law that changed that afterwards um if that's too spoilery we can we can cut this out but i thought that was very interesting that that is interesting well i like the historical what was that case that set the precedent that changed things going Mm -hmm. forward you know there's always a first precedent yes so anyway yeah that sounds really really interesting i love a good history especially if it reads like a narrative like that which mm-hmm. it sounds like that really does i hope so so the next book and again i'm doing a genre sampling this okay time. this is fantasy okay it's tress of the emerald sea that was, i picked that one too Ben sanderson you know i find that happens and i'll be interested on your take on this okay because usually people pick but they still have their own perspective on yes it. so here's the information i have on tress of the emerald sea um, now, Brandon, to give a little background, Brandon Sanderson, the author of this book, is also the author of the Stormlight Archive and Mistborn series. And those both exist in what's called the Cosmere universe. And Tress of the Emerald Sea is a standalone novel, but set in that same universe that those two series are in. If you're unfamiliar with his writing and would like to get a good feel for his writing before committing to one of his series, this might be a good start because it's a standalone. You won't have any cliffhanger at the end. But if you get a sense for whether you like this style or not, then you could go, wow, that's a series that I could get into and learn more about that. 
quote unquote history, fictional history, mm-hmm. you might want to say. Yes. This also caught my attention when Goodreads recommended for everyone who loved Princess Bride. Yes, that's what got me. Because <laughs> that is like every every family has its core and its lore. Mm-hmm. And my entire family will quote Princess Bride yes. to each other. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. Yes, <laughs> yes. I can help it. It just comes out. Um, have fun storming the castle. <laughs> Classic. So it's when I saw that line, I'm like, okay, that got my attention. Mm-hmm. So did you, you had already picked this book. I yes. So on. I am not familiar. Like I see Brandon Sanderson's books everywhere. My dad has them on his shelves. I pass them by the, on the, at the library every day. Right. So the Princess Bride thing really, really pulled me in. I was like, mm-hmm. cause, cause I was overwhelmed. He's written so many things. I, I, I can't start. But um, Princess Bride, like, again, I grew up watching it, reading the book. And when I was in college, uh, Carrie Ells actually visited campus. And, you know, he's an older man now, probably 40s or 50s. But he shows up. Okay, okay. Well, he doesn't look like he did in The Princess Bride. He's lovely and wonderful. No, no. Life happens. We evolve. But uh, he shows up wearing this black leather jacket Mm -hmm. and red Converse and is just so charming and casual and I was smitten and it was just it, it just reinvigorated my love for the whole shenanigan I read his book uh called as you, as you wish, wish. Yes, yes exactly and it was primarily written by him but it included from all of the different actors that are still surviving and of course they talked a lot about Andre the Giant who had mm-hmm. passed before this book was ever published but it was a great backstory to the story yes. and the filming and how it came to be made because the movie itself was going to be made and not going to be made. It's going to be yes. made and not going to be made for a long, long time until it was finally released to be made. And there's just some great stories of how um, Mandy Patinkin yes. really embodied that spirit of avenging his father because just mm-hmm. to, just to give a little teaser, his father had recently died of cancer. Mm. And so... When he says that famous line, I want my father back, he is feeling that because he really had this close bond with his father and was still grieving that loss. And so he was able to just really put into that character all that he was feeling about the loss of his own father. And there was just, it was such a, it was not a, even a big book. No, it's, it's a not. rich book. Yeah. Did you read it as well? Yes. Um, I got him to sign my copy. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> it's my little, my little name drop. Well, if yes. anybody's interested in this book, and I would love to explain this, but I feel like it would be too much of a spoiler. Read it just to get to the part where it talks about, I believe, the author sitting in the theater, watching it for the first time since its mm-hmm. initial screening after it's like the, something like the 25th year anniversary. Mm-hmm. They did a rescreening, and he had really no idea what a cultural phenomenon that it had become. Had been. And so I'm not going to say anymore because it gives too much away, but that part alone, him saying what that had come to mean was just, I loved it so much. It just almost brought me to tears. <laughs> so what's next for you? What's next for me? It is uh, Rosewater by Liv Little. Um, and I think 
I picked the title to look up because there's some sci-fi book that's also called Rosewater and it had been on display. And I was like, oh. So anyway, but it's not the same. This is her debut novel. It's Rosewater by Liv Little. And I was trying to look up things about her and I discovered that she was the founder of Galdem, which is a new media publication committed to telling the stories of people of color from marginalized genders, um, which I thought was really interesting. And so I was scanning through their website set in the UK. And then they were like, after eight long years, we finally have to shut down because of uh, it's just so hard to be independent journalism. And now that we're like, you know, writers and creators of color Mm -hmm. and like not necessarily from a privileged background. And I was like, oh, no, just in time for this. So she's written a book and it is about a queer black woman who is 28 living in South London, and she loves to write poetry, but she's stuck in her minimum wage job, Mm -hmm. working long hours, which I certainly have experience with. I think most of us have. And just trying to keep down that existential dread that likes to lurk. inspired to write poetry when you're under so much pressure. Yes, yes. And she's, I think, estranged from her parents or has just kind of cut just started to cut them off to like focus on her new life and the novel begins when Elsie is suddenly evicted from her flat which is social housing Mm -hmm. and just everything is the worst she's constantly being turned down from jobs and whatnot and so she has to reconnect with one of her childhood friends Juliet and kind of rediscover who she is Mm -hmm. and like what she wants to do and I have a note from the Guardian I'm gonna quote it it says um, this book is an ode to queer love and friendship and a reminder that self-knowledge is often arrived at in the company of others. And I thought that last part just, I don't know, it spoke to me. I can see that. There's something about articulating your own experience out loud to someone else that really makes it concise for you. Yes. All the vague feelings kind of get meshed into a word or a phrase or a paragraph sometimes, but still concises it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I like that. I I have had that experience. We're just in conversation. I would say something about a lived experience in a way I just never quite put it before. And it caught me as much as it (laughs) Yes. So self-epiphanies. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, that sounds really interesting. I think so. And and it does feature poetry written by someone else, uh, Kai Isaiah Jamal. He writes all the poetry that Elsie is writing. And so it's kind of like a collaboration between him and the author, Liv Little. And this is an appropriate title for April because it is Poetry Month. Yes. And even though it's not a book of poetry, it's a book about a poet that contains poetry. So we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. So why don't you tell me about your book? All right. So the next book on my uh, genre buffet is a historical murder mystery. And it's the next in the Sebastian St. Cree series. Okay. And I, I find, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I find a lot of historical mysteries these days are all in World War II. Yes. For the most part. Yes. And this one caught my attention as much because it was not in that setting as anything. It, it is set in the 1800s. And this is book number 18. Oh, goodness. Of this character series. Mm-hmm. But for those who enjoy this time period or those who are maybe already reading the series and want to hear about the newest title, this one is called Who Cries for the Lost? And it's by C.S. Harris. 
And of course, the main character is Sebastian St. Cree. And in this particular book, um, he has been wounded, I, I, I presume, in his last episode and mm-hmm. is recovering in London. Okay. And London and him, it's 1814. No, I'm sorry, 1815. All right. Everybody is waiting breathlessly for word about Napoleon and the Battle mm. of Waterloo. They don't know the outcome yet. Of course, okay. two years later, we know what happened. <laughs> they don't know. And, and of course, there's just been all this great turmoil around Napoleon and all the machinations that he had uh, been a part of. And he is frustrated by being stuck in London when he'd really rather be involved with the things that are happening. But because of his injury, he cannot go. Mm-hmm. But while he's there, a murder takes place. A body is discovered in the Thames. Naturally. Naturally. And he starts digging, partially because his dear, dear friend is somehow entangled in this and and is presumed guilty. I don't think he believes that he's guilty, but of course he has to fight to prove his innocence. Mm -hmm. We like the whole innocent until proven guilty thing, but that has not always been the way it operated in in my cases. Still not. Still not. Yeah. Exactly. And so as he's digging into this man's life, uh, the, the victim, he discovers that this man was not a good guy. And he has many people who would have liked to have done him mm. in. Uh, he was a bigamist. Oh, dear. <laughs> he was unfaithful. I mean, mm-hmm. And he also, it was rumored, had a list of Londoners who had collaborated with Napoleon. And so, of oh. course, any Londoner who wanted to keep that a secret had a vested interest in shutting this. Yeah. Down. And so... They are digging to find out. Yes. It's a lot of reasons. Yes. Wife, lover, jealous boyfriend, jealous husband, a Londoner who doesn't want his secrets getting out in connection with Napoleon, you know, and he's discovering, you know, well, all that dark, seamy underside that often comes with this sort of investigation. But because I like a good historical story. Yes. Mystery. Mm -hmm. And because... I like something that strays out of what has been popular. I love a good World War II historical book. I do. Yes. But, you know, other other time periods also exist. (laughs) Yeah, it's refreshing. Exactly. Exactly. And so I am very interested. I'm trying to remember the first book in the series. For those who are not familiar with the series and want to start at book one. Oh, this is another one. (laughs) Have you read any of them? I have not. I have not read this series simply because I'm already working my way through two series. And even though there are other series I really would love to look into, I am trying to maintain my sanity by not adding a third or a fourth series. Oh, absolutely. But it is on my radar of something that I, if he published a standalone, mm-hmm. just to get a sense of how good it is, which might also be dangerous, um, I might read that just so that I can continue my other series before adding a new one. Mm-hmm. All right. Book one of the Sebastian St. Cree series is What Angels Fear. Uh, but there are 18 works. So if you read it and if you like it, you have 17 more books that you can enjoy. <laughs> this author and in that series. Oh, so wonderful. Okay. My next book and my last book is... Uh, 
going to be sci-fi. It's called Ascension by Nicholas Binge. And it was named the most anticipated book of 2023 by Goodreads and Entertainment Weekly. If that means anything to you, that's great. But it was in all caps. So it is being described as a mind-bending speculative thriller. And uh, I was actually drawn to it because I saw the cover. And it's this very geometric white triangle that is supposed to be, I'm assuming, a mountain mm -hmm. in this beautiful, like, cobalt blue background. Mm -hmm. And it was just very angular. I don't know. It just, I drew me in. And so I guess as it starts, it is, the premise is, an enormous snow-covered mountain has appeared in the Pacific Ocean, and no one knows why it showed up. I'm like, Okay, so there is a scientist of mysterious phenomena. I'm not sure if that's a real degree or not. Named Harold. It should be. It should be. It should be. Maybe like maybe an area like fifty one. Yeah, yeah. yeah like there you go. There might you go. be a PhD dissertation type. <laughs> I'm not sure, but Harold Tunmore is the scientist, and he's contacted by this kind of sketchy organization, mm -hmm. and they want him to put together a team to ascend the mountain. And as they go up. The conditions get worse. It gets colder and colder. Everyone starts to get really paranoid and violent. And then these ancient creatures start showing up. And oh I was goodness. like, oh, goodness, this is a lot. But it's all framed within these unsent letters he wrote. So it's all like flipping back a couple years. I'm not sure how many, but his his niece was really concerned when he stopped showing up for events because he was always kind of like flighty, mm -hmm. but he never, he never completely went off the grid. And then mm -hmm. so they get a hold, I'm not sure how, of these letters and they start trying to piece it together. So I was very intrigued. Yes. It, I mean, it, that sounds fascinating. Okay. It's not just colder. You would expect that on a mountain, mm -hmm. but suddenly everybody's getting a little outside their own heads mm -hmm. and then creatures showing up. No, that's, I can picture that as a movie, but I, as is typical among folks that work at a library, <laughs> want to read the book first. Yeah, 100%. So. Yeah, I, I, I like the visual. I really do. I like a good movie. I like a good movie based on a book. I like, it's it's when they play with the plot line. That really. Yeah, oh, so that gets me. go in with a little bit of trepidation, you know, and I've seen where I've read the book and then watched the movie and I was frustrated at, at, because I'm like, if you had just made those two separate entities, I would have enjoyed both. Yes. But because you tried to make it that, but you changed so much from the original writing. Yes. It's hard to yes. Well, that new series, All Creatures Great and Small, the remake, yes. I know everyone loves it, but it doesn't. I watched the first 10 minutes. And I was like, this isn't how it starts. I was fortunate enough. I read the first book many, many years ago. So mm -hmm. many years ago. And so I don't remember it well enough for that to get in the way. Yeah. And I am enjoying the TV series, but I think if I had freshly read that book and then watched the movie or series, I would probably feel the same way. Yeah. I think the original television series is more accurate. But I was just like, you know, this is so silly. He He's getting off at a different stop or I don't remember what it was. It was something very small that no one should particularly have beef about. But it was beef for me. It's, you know, readers can be real purists and we just have to accept that about ourselves, I think. Yes. All right. So the last book on okay. my list. And 
this was not a book I selected for myself. You and I both fall into the role of reader's advisor. Mm-hmm. People come in going, I want this book. Okay, we find the book for them. But also, I'm sure that you've experienced like myself, someone comes, in, oh, I, I want to read something else. I don't know exactly what I want to read. Mm-hmm. Start asking the questions. You get a sense for what they would like and, and start recommending. And so I'm basing this on, I could see myself recommending this to my mom. Okay. My mom and the title of the book is Where Coyotes Howl. It's by Sandra Dallas and it's a Western. And that is not my genre, but it is very much her genre. I remember growing up, she faithfully, religiously watched Gunsmoke every week. Mm -hmm. And in many other movies, or I'm sorry, TV series like that. Yeah, Rawhide. Exactly. All of those things, you know, Bonanza. The Big Valley. Classic. Not as many people remember that one. And so she would really enjoy this. She's a reader like myself. Mm -hmm. um, And she loves that bit of romance with a handsome cowboy. Yes. In a little town. And this one is all about... It's set in 1916, so it's still the Old West, but not as old because Mm -hmm. it's moved into the 20th century. And it's in a two-street town in Wallace, Wyoming. And Wallace, Wyoming is in this really uh, remote area, of course, at that time period. The summers are brutal. The winters are also brutal. Sure. So people have to be really hardy, and it's really tough to survive in this place that's isolated and only just barely beginning to develop. Yeah. But Ellen Webster is she's the main character. She follows falls in love with the High Plains and with Charlie Bacon. And That's a good they, name. Yes, I, I'm like, that sounds like a cowboy. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> they, along with other members of their community, face harsh seasons and both triumphs and tragedies. And this book is about the bonds of friendship and love among ordinary people. I I I think it's one of the reasons I do like the books All Creatures Great and Small. It's Mm -hmm. just seeing into their lives. And so I could see this being a book she enjoyed because of the time period and the setting and the little bit of romance and the cowboy involved. And so um I I might even pick up a copy for her and send it to her. I did that for my brother. His birthday was last month. Yes. And a new Conan the Barbarian book had recently come out and he was all about that when he was a teenager. He was reading all the Conan the Barbarian books. So I sent it to him for his birthday mm-hmm. and texted him. I said, did you get your book? And, and my <laughs> name wasn't attached to it. I had just ordered it online. Yeah. And he was like, well, I didn't know who sent it to me, but I knew it was somebody who really <laughs> knew me. <laughs> Aww. And so I could see myself sending her this book as well, just because I could, I think she would really enjoy it just because of what I know of her and her tastes. Yeah, no, that sounds lovely. So, but my favorite thing to do is recommend books to people. Oh, yeah. In oh, yeah. Fact, I have to kind of rein it in a little bit. I can, people go, oh, I'd like to. I'd like to read something like this. And once I get those questions mm-hmm. out and I kind of know where I'm going with what I think they'll like, I, I have added a new question. I didn't used to always ask this, but I would say, how many books oh, yeah. do you want to take home today or look through? And and that helps me because otherwise I'll come out with six or eight. Or yes. And they'll go, I think I'll take two or three home. And I'll go, okay, well, let's go. Work. Let's start there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, and then I'll, so that's my favorite question as a navigator, as because you and I. Are both yes. In that role of navigator. I there's a lot about my role I like, but that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So in honor of Poetry Month, Mm -hmm. I'm just curious if you have any favorite poets or poetry books that you, when people go, ooh, who do you like? Who do you mention? I'll go Uh, first while you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only discovered her a few years ago, but Amanda Lovelace, she wrote several, and I may have mentioned this before, but (laughs) I'm such a fan. Uh, She wrote some very slim poetry books called... um, the Princess Saves Herself in this one. Uh, the Witch Doesn't Burn in this one. Excellent. The Mermaid Gets Her Voice Back in this one. Break Your Glass Slippers. And I think there's others, but those are the ones that I've read. And I really, really like her work. And so, I mean, and there's a lot of poets. I I recently, oh, I came across, and she's not new. Dorothy mm-hmm. Parker wrote a yeah. lot of poetry back in the day. I've heard of her. And she's, I'm looking up. The poem that I saw. All right. Just because it's April and, and it's a very short poem, I'm going to go ahead and read this. This is okay. called, oh, and it just went away. <laughs> uh, this is Sanctuary by Dorothy Parker. My land is bare of chattering folks. The clouds are low along the ridges and sweets the air with curly smoke from all my burning bridges. And for me, it resonates. And I think other people go, what? <laughs> But for me, it resonates because we all learn about who we hold close. Yes. And how to set boundaries. And not everybody survives boundary setting. (laughs) And it's learning for the sake of our own health and our own way forward to find that balance and to be at peace with those choices. Oh, yeah. We could do a whole podcast on that. I think so. (laughs) I think so. So I, I say that one right now just because... It was only maybe a month or two ago that it just kind of popped up in a feed. And I went, oh, I really like that one. Yeah, that hits home. Yes, it does. Okay. So I have thought of my poet. I had to Google because I was blanking. Okay. Their name is Ocean Vuong. And he's he's very contemporary. I think he just published another another book real recently. What is it called? Uh, yes. Time is a Mother. And he does kind of a mixture of prose and poetry. And someone once told me, and I don't know if this is true, because they were they were very artsy and sometimes tended to elaborate, but that he, before writing anything down, would memorize the poem, write it line by line in his head before writing it down. Now, I'm, that might not be true. So maybe... I could not count on my memory <laughs> for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's short, I am easily distracted. I could go, ooh, that was such a great line. What did I say? I don't, oh, yes. I don't know. I Yes. Yes. Writing is important. <laughs> yes, I am constantly like, oh, I'm brilliant. And the next day, where did it go? I, but I am, I am impressed by someone who has that, um, that style of composing their poems. So, and last final question. I like to ask this on my endings. Um, any book you're in the middle of right now that you're enjoying? Yes, I am reading O Caldonia, and I'm going to blank on who, who wrote it. I know the author, but I have blanked with you. Do you want me to look it up or should I? Should yes, we? Yes, okay. Do we have time? Go. All right. Well, she, I think she just wrote the one. And that was what the big deal was. Unless they have published other things recently. I don't think she's alive anymore. Let me. By Elspeth Barker. 
Yeah, O Caledonia by Elspeth Barker. This is kind of what the cover looks like, mm -hmm. but it's a reprinting. Okay. So it was in our new section for the longest time. I think it just came off, but it was published in the 90s, and it has this lovely introduction by someone who knew her, and it's all about, it's this short little book, so if you're looking for a fast read, that's it, but it's, um, she grew up in, I believe, Scotland, and it's set in Scotland in a big airy castle mm -hmm. that is, like, reminiscent, so I think. Yes. Of her childhood, reminiscent of her childhood. And I think it, 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 yes, it opens with this beautiful word poetry talking about like the setup of the stained glass window. And at the very bottom of the first page, it mentions that uh, the girl, Janet, who's 16 years old, is dead. And it's kind of a whodunit so far, but it's not really like, I don't think they're going to find the okay. killer okay. but it goes through her whole life and how nobody really liked janet but in kind of a sort of funny way not being mean but like she was just not a fantastic child so the parents didn't spend a lot of time waiting to get her buried and she ends up the gravestone next to her says something about like i didn't listen to my mother and i swallowed chewing gum um and just kind of I don't know. It's just this beautiful poetic language. And then it's got these kind of like hard truths of growing up peppered in there. Um, so. Wow. That really <laughs> sounds, the way you're describing it definitely makes me go, that sounds like something worth reading. Yes. Yes. So that's what I'm looking forward to. How about yourself? So I just finished Mexican Gothic. Um, oh. I, it's been, of course, on my radar for a while. Because yes. It's so popular. And I have a book club called One More Chapter mm -hmm. because that's what we do. One more chapter. <laughs> There's a reason I don't get enough sleep in. Oh, yeah. And so uh, that is the book that we are meeting to discuss tonight. And that was really, really good. It definitely went in a direction that there was parts of it I could kind of see where we were going. And then it kind of veered. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, I did not see that coming. So it's it's a really interesting book. If you haven't read anything by her, the author is Sylvania. Sylvia, I'm sorry. The author is Sylvia. Now I should have. Moreno Garcia. That sounds right. But I'm going to look it up just to make sure. I think that's right. Where are they? I know one of the casualties of working in the library is sometimes people will just list off a random book. I'm like, oh, I know that yes. author. And other times it'll be something I know really well. <laughs> and as soon as they ask me, I'm like, it's gone. Yes. Sylvia Moreno Garcia wrote this book and I did enjoy it. Sometimes when something goes in a direction I don't expect, I have to wrestle with what the book was as opposed to my expectations, you know, mm -hmm. and it was still really well written. Um, it definitely has this overlay of gothic fiction, yes, but set in Mexico and yet very not Mexico in some elements and very, very Mexico in others. It's definitely got me interested in reading some of her other work. Oh, well, lovely. And so I think there's another book by her that I think I'm going to read next. I'm looking at her list so I get the right title called, yes, Gods of Jade and Shadow. And I think if I remember correctly, that has an Aztecian kind of vibe to it. And so, okay. so she writes and centers of much of her work in Central and South America. I'm really yes. looking forward to reading that as well. Don't know when that one's going to come up. I have an unending list. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I kind of alternate, you know, I have my book club choices where mm -hmm. I pick books that I am looking forward genuinely to reading, but I alternate with other books that I'm trying to get to. So yes. once I finished Mexican Gothic, I picked up 
the next book in one of the series that I've been working through, which is the Louise Penny series. Mm-hmm. So I'm currently on book number five of her series called The Brutal Telling. And I haven't got very far into it, but because I've read the first four and I feel like I know the characters, that's, that's something I enjoy. If I really, if a book has excellent characters in it, as hers do. Mm-hmm. then I love getting back in and going, oh, it's like meeting them all. Yes, it's old friends. So I don't know if I can do this justice, but I was reading that book yesterday. Uh-huh. And there was a line in there that made me laugh out loud mm-hmm. because one of the characters in this particular murderer's mystery, his name is Havoc. Excellent. H-A-V-O-C. And so they're going, they're investigating this dead body that was found at a, at a bistro mm-hmm. and he's a, an employee there. So they're coming and asking questions of all of the employees. And so they're speaking to his mom and they say, Hey, could you call your son? Mm-hmm. And so the line is havoc. She cried <laughs> and let the dog slip loose past her into the woods. And that immediately <laughs> made me think of that line from Shakespeare, cry havoc and let loose the, do- let slip the dogs of war yes and so i could see that the author had done that on purpose and i just laughed out loud and i said i see what you did there <laughs> amazing i i love little it's you know easter eggs like that yes this makes you pay attention so anyway <gasps> thank you for joining me yes and i hope that maybe down the road we can have another revisit i hope so and what books we encountered again thank you very much <laughs> <laughs>